0: I still remember the moment I regained consciousness with a thought that was ramming its way through the haze of anesthesia with what felt like the force of a freight train as I sat straight up in my hospital bed. The baby's gone. Even though I'd set my mind not to have it, for some reason I'd been thinking, you can still change your mind, all the way up until the nurse put the mask over my mouth and told me to count backwards. I make out the girl in the next bed, whispering in Russian to her friend that I'd been yelling that I wanted my mother. Processing words she didn't expect me to understand, a vague flashback of fighting with two nurses came to me, and I looked down at my arm to see the scratches I felt them make in my memory. It was too late then. The baby was gone. I moved on with my life like I had planned, acting as if what I'd believed going into it was true, that it was just a simple surgical procedure. I made no attempts to process what was actually emotionally and spiritually traumatic. But the universe always finds a way, doesn't it? Mine came in the form of a summer internship in 1997 with a nonprofit for low income people's needs called. Texas Alliance for Human Needs, or TAN. I was assigned to cover crime, generally, and specifically the third and last shot retrial of a man on death row in Huntsville for killing police officer Ralph Oblinedo in Austin in 1978. He'd been on death row longer than anyone because his first two sentences had been overturned by higher courts for corruption by the prosecution. Tan had taken an interest in his case because the accused killer, David Powell, was a poor farm kid with no money for defense. Though he was poor, he'd shown great promise as a student. On the gifted track at University of Texas in Austin, David was pre-med with the hopes of returning to his hometown to be its doctor when he fell in with a crowd using and dealing meth through the woman who owned and was driving the car Officer Oblinedo was shot from. His dreams of serving his community as a doctor now is forever out of reach as the officers of protecting his. When I started that internship, I had no opinion about the death penalty per se, beyond the standard agreed-upon idea that it's the punishment we reserve for our worst criminals. I learned there it's a sentence almost only ever carried out against the poor in this country. 99% of death row inmates are indigent. But it was David's famous new defense attorney who gave me an even better uh, reason to oppose it. Michael Tiger, who the following year was voted one of the most influential attorneys of the 20th century, behind only Clarence Darrow and Thurgood Marshall, was also a law professor at UT at the time and sat down with me at the Burger King on Guadalupe to let me interview him. And when I asked him why he was against the death penalty, he quoted Sister Helova, the famous advice columnist, because we're all better than the worst thing we've ever done. I went home and those words stayed with me and worked on me, because we're all better than the worst thing we've ever done. The first thing I realized was about David, the accused killer, I'd been talking to him on the phone from Travis County Jail where he was awaiting the third trial, where they hoped to show reasonable doubt that it was David and not the driver of the car and owner of the AK-47, Sheila Minert, who killed Officer Albinado. The meth addiction was long behind him. The man I knew was a thoughtful, intelligent, compassionate, useful human being whose life I thought was worth something whether he was the one who pulled the trigger or not. I felt that even if he was the one responsible, that he was redeemable, arguably redeemed even, and still a worthy human being in the eyes of Creator. And I felt my heart open a notch. It felt good, way better than the feeling of condemnation. The next person I thought of, once I felt that forgiveness, was my father, who I would thought of as a monster for a long time. I started to think about all the good in him, the good that I was especially aware of when I was little. And the most exciting part of my day was when he'd come home and watch and applaud when I showed him my silly ballet moves. I found myself granting him the same grace, the same forgiveness. I felt my heart open another notch. Again, it felt much better than the condemning him I'd been doing so long. And I guess spirit was like, oh, she's on a forgiveness roll, let's keep (laughs) them bubbling up. (laughs) Because that's when the most important and most deeply buried condemnation came up for me. I realized that not only was there something I had not forgiven myself for, but it was something that was a reflection of what David was in prison for. At least some people... Many people believe my elective abortion when I was 18 is the same mortal sin David had been in prison for, for 20 years. I'd expected it to feel like a simple surgical procedure, but there was no denying it had torn at my heart and mind, and I buried those feelings and just held them against myself inside. And in that moment, when I turned the same question to myself as to whether I was worthy, despite this thing that I had done. The answer seemed so obvious. I knew, I knew that I was good. There had definitely been times I had doubted that was my essential nature, and it had certainly been tested, but there was that feeling, there's no question feeling of, I was made good. I certainly didn't believe I belonged in prison, but I had been in a prison in my heart because it was closed up, until I felt that forgiveness for myself. My heart opened several more notches. So much that for the first time ever, I truly felt my Creator's love. Just this deep, adoring, abiding love. It felt like more than that I was forgiven despite my badness. I was a source of real pride to my Creator. Not pride like when you think you're too good to bend, but pride when you look at something you did or made and your heart is full of the glory of it. <laughs> That's what I felt Creator feels for me. And you, and my father, and David Powell, and Officer Oblinado, and everyone ever made just this luminous, unconditional love and acceptance. And that's also the moment when, for the first time in my life, I could hear the voice of God in communion with me, loving me, guiding me. And in hearing it, there was this awareness, too, that it had always been there. I just couldn't hear it. I'd been closed off. And suddenly, Jesus was there, too, And not like I'd been afraid of when I was little, like, "Ah, Jesus is there. (laughs) Just humbly there in my consciousness and the meaning of his sacrifice and crucifixion that had never been able to make sense to me before came to me. As he was dying on the cross, the worst crime humanity was capable of being committed against him, the taking of a life. And not just any life, but the life of this perfect Lamb of God. He said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And we don't, do we? We rationalize everything we do. Like, have you ever heard anyone say, Oh, yeah, I did that thing knowing it was bad, knowing it was hurtful. (laughs) No. People always have justifications for what we do, just as they did to crucify the Son of God. But even when we justify it, we feel it when we've done something damaging. So the last thing Jesus wanted us to take away from his sacrifice was to know from the lips of the Son of God that we're all better than the worst thing we've ever done. And I can't help but feel from my experience, it's because it's judgment projected, a.k.a. knowledge of good and evil, that separates us from God. That fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's not omniscience, because the omniscient God knows no evil. There's only one presence and power in the universe, God, the good. That fruit of I know what's good and bad, that's judgment. And the subsequent condemnation and shame that puts us out of the garden and closes our hearts and ears to God, each other, and ultimately ourselves, leading us down a path of suffering. I share my story of forgiveness because I believe forgiveness is the difference between being able to be open-hearted and connected and living in the heaven Jesus promised was at hand and not being able to hear God's voice or see their presence. And that's all the difference in the world. I've since birthed and raised three luminous beings under the right circumstances with a father who wanted and loved them. I'm so proud of them and do my best to love them unconditionally, as does this church. I always tell people the Unity Church was the one truly safe place my children had growing up in that it was the only place that didn't want to chip away at their identity in any way. They were just loved and accepted just the way they are. So, Jesus is my savior in that confirmation, and what more could anyone need? That we can do our worst, but we are still beloved and worth something to God. He died making this definitive statement. There's nothing you can do you can't be forgiven for, or anyone else. And realizing that saved the life I was meant to live, connected to God's love and purpose. So cut to 17 years later, I'm getting a divorce. (laughs) It's October 2014, and I'm working here with Sherry Conway as the membership and volunteer coordinator. And we just had the Howling Moon fundraiser. We'd been working hard for months to pull off. Mindy Odlin, who spoke here a few weeks ago, had donated a couple tickets to an event where she was speaking in Austin with Joe Vitale that no one had purchased. And Sherry gave them to me to say thank you. And I met Mindy and Joe and many wonderful speakers, Dee Wallace and Bill Phillips, everyone essentially speaking on the subject of manifestation, or what Reverend Ellen Debenport refers to as the second or by me level of existence, right above the to me level of existence. But for me, the most impactful talk was Joe's on the second day on his book called Zero Limits, that is a doorway to the third through-me level. How many of you have read Zero Limits by Joe Vitale? Some of you. Zero Limits is about an ancient Hawaiian healing ritual traditionally used to resolve family conflicts called Ho'oponopono, which you guys got down great. <laughs> <laughs> and a modern Hawaiian psychiatrist who healed an entire ward of criminally insane asylum patients just by doing it with himself. Doing what, you ask? So Ho'oponopono, Hawaiian for to make a wrong thing right, is a ritual that was part of the culture for centuries, overseen by a kahuna in which injured parties would come together before the tribe or tribes, and under the guidance of a kahuna, they would go through the ritual of saying to each other, I'm sorry for whatever they had to be sorry for. I'm sorry, my arrow got in your yard and landed on your pet lizard. (laughs) They would say, I'm sorry to each other, whatever they had to say, and then, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Sounds like an effective way to resolve a conflict, right? (laughs) Kind of makes me think I can understand why the Hawaiians are so chill. In the 20th century, a Hawaiian kahuna woman named Morna Simeona began to teach a modern version of it to the world called self-identification through Ho'oponopono. And in this modern version, the prayer says the phrases to themselves, to themselves, accepting full responsibility for any conflict in their reality as somehow reflected inside and just cleaning up the conflict through their own self-identification. That can be a hard thing for people to want to do, (laughs) taking responsibility, especially in that to-me state where it's central to your story that you're a victim. The way out of that is to realize you don't have to worry that taking responsibility means you're to blame. Blame is a useless concept. It's not what responsibility is for. Taking responsibility means that you have the power to change it, and that opens up worlds of possibility. Limitless power you hadn't imagined, I promise. I love that today's daily word is energetic. Can anyone give me an amen on you attract what you are energetically? (laughs) The root principle at work is anything that comes into your world, your projection, is in you somehow, even if it's just a tiny seed. And through that connection, you can clear anything out there by cleaning it within you. The limitless energy of spirit flows through me. Dr. Hulin called that at zero and taught there are zero limits to humans in that state. And I've certainly seen some miraculous evidence of it, I can tell you. We also we find support in the truth of the cleaning power of forgiveness in what the book of Matthew says was in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about judgment. It's funny, I never saw most of the wisdom in the Bible before I knew Jesus. Then I you know, not only became an avid and interested reader, I found so much truth. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? Kind of like a teenager growing up or something. Matthew chapter 7 begins with, Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the same judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure with which you measure, it will be measured to you. And then this plea. Why do you see the splinter which is in your brother's eye and do not feel the beam which is in your own eye? Or how can you say, let me take out the splinter from your eye and behold, there is in your own eye. Remember what I said about the reflection I was sent to show me the forgiveness I needed to release my own heart from prison? As soon as I forgave the others, forgiveness was granted to me. It came one after the other, and it came in the form of a reflection others might see that I would never intellectually agree with. And yet, somewhere in me, there was a place I could find that reflection, something in my conscience, not just out there having nothing to do with me or my righteousness. This piece of Jesus' sermon points to that the cleaning, the clearing, is to be done on ourselves. It's even right in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to ask, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, as we forgive those who trespass against us, The as is important because the way I learned it exactly, it is when you forgive others that you find yourself also forgiven. And this daily duty is so essential to keeping your projector clean. It's right there up front in Jesus' what to pray every day that he gave us, right between daily bread and keeping us from straying off into evil. So the power of Ho'oponopono comes from this place of connection with the creator who sees our good, who sees us as worthy, and who forgives our sins always. But I love it because it's simple. It's really simple. It's so simple to remember in times of stress. And it's powerful, and it works even if you're not in that place and you don't feel it. The thing about Ho'oponopono is even if you don't feel at all responsible for something, you can still take responsibility through your connection to the divine and heal something. So back to the Zero limit story, Dr. Ihaliakula Hulin, the Hawaiian psychiatrist, took responsibility for the mental illness of a whole ward of criminally insane patients at the Hawaii State Hospital in the 80s. Never meeting them in person, he reviewed each patient's files and reflected on their connection to himself. He would go to work and focus solely on forgiving and loving himself, believing everything in his external environment is a reflection of his internal climate. And as he healed himself, the patients began to improve as well. Over time, the previously violent ward was transformed into a peaceful environment. Several of the inmates were even successfully rehabilitated into society. I know when I brought it home from the Attract Money Now! event, I was having a lot of hard feelings come up in the process of my divorce. My life felt a little like a ward of criminally insane patients. (laughs) It was not resolving peacefully and had been going on over a year, and I just tried it because it was simple to say, but I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the words. I didn't feel responsible. But I said him anyway, and every time I did, something moved. Things changed. If you're like I once was, and it's not enough to know this wisdom about non-judgment and forgiveness being essential to your connection to God is in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus' dying words and you want to know why it works. How does that work, though? Oh, are you thinking to yourself? I used to be very skeptical like that. Think about what we know now about the way that words and thoughts, and even written words and thoughts, can transform water molecules from the work of Dr. Emoto. If you haven't seen that, um, it's amazing. It's, you can find it on YouTube. And it shows the way the words love and gratitude and forgiveness turn molecules into these beautifully symmetrical snowflakes and um, unkind, unloving words turn them into shards and ugly things. Our bodies are 70% water, so think of the implications of just the physiological peace you create within yourself when you say the words that evoke the foremost powerful human emotions. Repentance, forgiveness, gratitude, and love. I later, by divine coincidence, came to be Dr. Joe Vitale's business manager for four years through another connection I first met here at Unity. I tell people just about every great thing that's happened to me since I've been here has happened through this church. People I've met, jobs I've had, things I created and participated in that I'm proud of. just got to give props where props are due because you'll know them by their fruits, right? In the four years working for Dr. Joe, I was privileged to have many great experiences, including producing the Advanced Ho'oponopono Certification Event here in Wimberley at Jim and Colleen Reeves Ranch. Ho'oponopono enthusiasts and practitioners came from around the world, and I saw, read, and heard many more examples of miracles in every aspect of people's lives brought about by this simple prayer. Financial relationship and literally matters of life and death cleared up with these four phrases. So if there's anything you hold in your heart against someone else today, forgive them so you may be forgiven, so your heart can be open. Very often it's something you yourself have been in some way, on some level, guilty of. Like, seriously, think about it. Just give it a second. Like, who among us hasn't scolded someone in the house for leaving something out in one room where something of ours is laying around in the next room? Right? It's something we'll do when we're feeling like we do more of the housework instead of just asking sweetly for the help we need, (laughs) am I right? (laughs) Forgive every day, every morning when you first wake up, but please don't forget to forgive yourself. And if that doesn't just come to you like it did to me, do a check-in. What might that log in your own eye be? I've never failed to find one. (laughs) All judgment on some level is self-judgment, even if it's only an unconscious part of yourself buried deep in your shadow. So all condemnation is self-condemnation. It's not just a schoolyard defense about four fingers pointed back at you. It's real. I call it the reflective theory. And if there's any doubt in your heart that you should forgive yourself, Think of someone else you could forgive. Think of me when I told you about the worst thing I've ever done. Can you forgive me? (laughs) Can you forgive me? (laughs) Thank you. I was hoping that would be a little louder the first time, but that's okay. (laughs) Please give yourself the same grace. I want you to feel deeply in your heart that you are good, you are loved, and you are worthy. And anytime anything comes up in your inner or outer world that makes you doubt that about yourself or anyone else, please try the forgiveness prayer to clear it until you're in unity with the divine again. We're going to do a short meditation to practice it together now. But I hope you'll remember this prayer when you have any conflict in the future, or even if you just want to make the world around you a better place. And if you'd like to explore it a little more deeply and do a longer meditation, please join me uh, in the classroom after the service. We're going to do about a 30 minute Ho'oponopono meditation to heal and align you with your inner child, what Dr. Hulin called the most important relationship in existence. So let's take these molecule rearranging thoughts into meditation. Take a deep breath in to the count of seven and out to the count of seven. I want you to picture the face of someone you truly, deeply love. And just let yourself feel and amplify that emotion of pure, deep, unconditional love. Now give that feeling a color. It could be green, it could be red. As you inhale and exhale, picture yourself filling your body and the room with that love. Now picture the face of someone you feel is wronged you. I'm going to say a phrase, and please respond by repeating the phrase back when you hear me say it. You don't always have to say the phrases. Thoughts have power, too, but I want to hear you say them out loud. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry, Sorry. please forgive me, me. Thank thank you, I love you, I'm sorry if I, my family, relatives, or ancestors have done anything unconsciously or unconsciously since the beginning of time until now, in thought, word, or deed, to offend you, your family relatives, or ancestors, then we ask forgiveness. Please forgive me for any role I may have played consciously or unconsciously in projecting this conflict into the world. Thank you for being a beautiful, forgiving reflection of divine light. I love you. Now open your eyes and remember these ten words going forward. May they bless you every day.